So, um, it's uh, been over a week since my last uh, podcast here. Sorry I'm taking so long. I can try to do these uh, more frequently than that. Um, maybe every few days or no, no particular schedule, just if I think I really need to comment on something. Um, and uh, there's, there's been some developments. Obviously, thank you all for, for helping me when I needed to be bailed out before. And a few people have stepped up and made some donations, and I have some, some Patreon subscribers, so thank you all very much. Um, I even have a bid on my Gentleman's Magazine, the first volume, so that's up, and um, although I, I won't get any um, profit, which I didn't want anyway, from selling the t-shirts, the t-shirts are, are pretty much ready to go. Uh, we're, we're trying to get the website up and have the the breakdown of the multiples be accurate and allow people to be able to to order exactly what sizes and colors they want at whatever quantity they want and the idea here is that everything should be at cost but hopefully not below um, but some of them are probably going to be below some of them might be a little high uh, but only by a dollar or so so I, my hope is that this is going to work out to be a wash and there's some overhead to pay the uh, printer for his work on vectorizing the graphics. So it should be should be good. And then we'll have the vectorized graphics. So anybody who wants to, to get those, just contact me. And I, I'll probably put a tweet up with them so you don't even have to contact me. And just go for it. You can print up your own T-shirts or mugs or, you know, posters or flyers or billboards. Anything you want. You don't have to ask me. Um... And so this way, if anybody wants to make any donations, they can do that directly to me, and it's not going to be built into anything having to do with selling the T-shirts. I, I wanted to sell the t and almost nobody has mentioned this. There was one person who said, you know, why are you trying to make money on the T-shirts? And I did my Picard facepalm. I'm not trying to make any money off the T-shirts, obviously, uh, or maybe not so obviously. So I figured I would mention this because it's important. The general idea is that, of course, people can do their own print runs, but it's kind of expensive and a logistical challenge to actually do this. And generally speaking, you're probably going to have to print up 50 or more, probably more than 100, in order to make it ends meet if you're trying to make any money. I don't, I don't say that nobody should make any money off of selling the T-shirts. You should make something. Um, you know, what I'm saying is I don't want to make any money off the T-shirts. So if you can print the T-shirts for 12 bucks a piece and sell them for 20 bucks, that's great. Uh, I think that's probably about the range that they ought to go for and you ought to get. So that if you're out there and you just have a, a cardboard box on the street and you sell 10 T-shirts, you should walk home with 80 bucks in your pocket. I mean, that doesn't seem like a stupid thing to me. And even if they don't sell, it's good for the message to get out there. Uh, to see, you know, the t-shirts the will work even if they're just being sold. They don't actually have to sell in order for this message to get out there. So the whole point of all of this is to get this message out there. And I still want to reiterate that I, that I think probably the most effective thing is going to be flyers, posters, because that's really the mass recall model. And so if you have a printer and you can download the vectorized graphics or the raster graphics, Print out, you know, a copy of the tweet or the message um, and just leave it on what I was thinking was, you know, overnight on car windows, car windshields, you know, plaster all the cars in a, in a parking lot so that people at least see it 
and that's these, most people are not on Twitter or Facebook, and they're they're not going to see this message otherwise. So that might be the best way to do this. Obviously, putting them on telephone poles and shop windows, etc., is all good too. Uh, but I, I kind of think that the flyer idea is ultimately the best way to do this. It's certainly the only way to do mass recall when we actually get to the local level. So you know whether or not we lose power and, and communications, paper flyers are the way to get a message directly to your neighbors. So if there's a if there's a flyer on a telephone pole, it's going to reach everybody on the street. Period. Um, as long as they go out of their house and walk down the street and see it. Uh, if you were in an apartment building or condo, and you know I put these on the windshields, I mean some people might complain, and probably some people will complain. And like I said before, if you have to do this sneak out at night to do it so that nobody sees you, then do that. Um, the idea is to try to save as many lives as possible. Now. I was saying we had three days to a week over a week ago, so maybe it's just too late. Everybody has, has already either gotten the gene therapy or is not going to be talked out of it. I don't know. Um, but it can't hurt to try. And there's this bigger question, the rest of the message of the tweet, which summarizes all the basic things that are threatening us, is still relevant. Even the people who are now potentially, you know, bioweapons platforms should know what's going on. Um, it may be too late to save their lives, but, you know, I suspect that if they discover the truth and find out that they've been deliberately poisoned, they're not going to be happy and they can still provide some assistance to save humanity. So the fact that people have been poisoned is not in itself a reason to cast them aside and say they're lost. They could still prove to be very, very useful and save people. So, And we also just don't want... We, what I'm really concerned about is this idea of bifurcation of humanity into camps because, like I say, the, the, that, that doesn't lead into success or good outcomes. And what, it, what it really leads to is people authorizing government to kill certain people, whether it's the vaccinated people, quote-unquote vaccinated gene therapy people, telling every telling the government to kill the people who haven't been gene therapy, haven't taken the gene therapy, or whether it's us realizing that now these bioweapons platforms people are a threat to our lives and our fertility, and so the, there are groups of us who might go to our governments and say we got to kill the vaccinated people. Like these are not good outcomes. We don't want this. This is in fact what the global totalitarian corporatist state is after. Um, is to create this kind of, you know, conflict between people who would otherwise not be in conflict with each other. So, so resist the temptation to dismiss or demonize. Or, you know, resist the the. I know it's 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 pretty easy to to feel like we ought to reciprocate with animosity towards the obvious enmity that we are experiencing from these brainwashed people. I understand that, but it doesn't help. Um, but it, you know, I'll qualify this and I'll say you don't have to try to convince them, um, but but try not to demonize them. I guess is what I'm getting at here, um, and certainly don't. Don't advocate government stepping in to make things right. Government cannot ever do anything right. Never has been able to, and certainly will not be able to in this case. 
So we have to make sure we don't start thinking about problems that need to be solved by organized solutions, which will then be handed off to governments to do. Everything that is that is going to be good for humanity from now on is going to be people individually interacting with each other in a decentralized way. Nothing that is advantageous or healthy or an improvement to the human condition from this point on can be organized by government in any way. And that's important that we realize this. And it makes a lot of these decisions that maybe we don't get around to talking about. We, we can't talk about every individual situation. And everybody's lives and everybody's town is different. So it's these core principles, these core ideas that we really want to stress. And it's a much simpler core idea than and the sort of philosophical arguments that many people get into about how society should be organized because those philosophical arguments are really take take one they, they make one central error which is that everybody will agree on something and that's impossible there's no way you're ever going to get everybody to agree on something so that means you will have conflicts between conflicting philosophies both of which are all in philosophies that require everybody to agree on a set of principles so decentralization is the idea that we recognize that people are not going to be able to all agree on one particular set of principles and live life that way. And in fact, we need for everyone to locally agree and, and have our rules locally. That's okay. Um, but not to try to inflict or require those rules for everybody as a, as a, a precondition for peace. We need the precondition for peace to be the absence of that. So some of this is a little counterintuitive, I, I understand. And, and of course, we all want our, our ideological, pure, ideologically pure world someday, but that's not going to happen anytime soon, certainly not in our lifetimes, and we should not be making that a prerequisite for peace. It's as simple as that. So decentralization is both the only way to stop the global totalitarian corporativist state and disassemble the hierarchy and it's also the only way for us to peacefully coexist with each other because we're not going to agree on everything so so that's the basic idea um i've been i've been doing some uh media watching i i, I just just uh, watched uh pete quinones uh uh podcast with del bigtree and um, and that was that was good. Um, one of the things that comes up whenever I listen to these podcasts with the doctors on them is none of us really know. Of course, I don't I don't know for sure anything, right? Um, I, I reasonable uh, deductions. I try to base my analyses on things that I can derive from a priori or deductive reasoning. So, in other words, I, I don't necessarily say that if this piece of evidence is true, then this. I say if if all pieces of evidence in the final analysis, you know, lead to one of two conclusions, then I can at least say these are the two options, because no matter what happens, these are the two options. And maybe I can't absolutely commit to one or the other option, but that's a lot easier than trying to say that of these 15 different scientific theories or hypotheses 
if this, that, or the other one is absolutely confirmed to be true, then this, that, or the other thing is what we should do. I, I'm not able to make that kind of an analysis, and I don't think it's really helpful because we just, as I said before, we, we can't really agree on these things. Um, so when I hear doctors talking about things like, the, the one that bothers me a little bit here, and I'm not saying I'm against this idea, maybe it's true, but it doesn't seem to serve any purpose. And it's this idea that that the vaccinated people are becoming breeding grounds for more virulent strains of the virus SARS-CoV-2. And my understanding of immunology and epidemiology and, and virology is, is that all pathogens, the, the, in the novel year release of a pathogen, the, you have the highest number of deaths. And so the, the excess death numbers will be the highest that they would be compared to previous averages within years for the first year, and then they will go down after that. And that's because it's a mathematical inevitability that the pathogens will, the ones that survive will be the most contagious and least deadly, because the most deadly will kill off the people and not propagate, and the least deadly are more contagious, and they will survive, and the survivors will then, for the time that they're contagious, convey them to other people. And this is how this happens. This is also how people get develop natural community immunity, because these less deadly, more contagious versions are what get out to people, they become immune to it, and then they are naturally immune to all versions. So this narrative of the variations and mutations becoming more deadly is, is bunk, as far as I know. Scientifically, that's not how this works. You're not going to get significant enough mutations you know, in a naturally occurring pathogen in a normal population such that it gets worse over time. That just doesn't happen. And even if you have an artificial intervening category or, or function like this vaccination, because people have been saying, well, this is unique because they're vaccinating during a pandemic. Well, that doesn't make for uh, the, the emergence of a more, you know, virulent pathogen. In fact, the, the real issue with this gene therapy is that it, it lowers your defenses, makes your immune system less effective against the pathogen, against all pathogens. And so it has the pathogenic prime effect, which may cause you to die more likely from the thing it was supposed to protect you from. But you're more likely to get sick and die from everything because your overall immune system has been um, compromised. So it doesn't mean that you're going to get infected with this highly contagious, less deadly version, and then somehow it will come out of you as a more deadly version. That's just not, I mean, there's no way, I don't see how that works logically. And again, I, I don't really have the science backing me up on this. Well, it's not that I don't have the science backing me up on this. I just don't know the real science of this. There, there could be some reason I'm just unaware of that that makes it so that diseases all of a sudden become more deadly. I mean, it seems to me that if a disease penetrates somebody, their immune system is not capable of defending against it. They're just going to simply die from it right um it doesn't why would the why would the virus need to be any stronger if it's found a victim you know what i mean like um and and if the, the victim is then contagious with it it's going to be the version that it got not some new mutation um i mean it's, the mutations of course can occur i mean i guess there's a statistic 
for statistical possibility. But again, the mathematical inevitability here is in the opposite direction. So, so it just doesn't make sense. And so claiming that to be the reason why vaccination is bad, I think, is bad because it just confuses everything. Like, that's not really the major threat. It's kind of like with these people who talk about the, the, the tracking implant or whatever. I mean, even if that was true, even if they were injecting chips into your arm and they were tracking you, that's not what we're really worried about. Bad as that is, and I'm not saying I'm, I approve of that or anything like that, but that's actually not what we're scared of here. That's not the real threat. So why are we even talking about it? More importantly, even if you could prove, even if you could pull out the implant and say, yep, see, it's there it is. You can see the LED blinking on it, and here's the battery, and, and there's a little, you know, whatever. All you really need is for other examples where that wasn't the case, and the whole thing is, is debunked. So even if you could prove it in an individual instance, the fact that it isn't everywhere and isn't ubiquitous would disprove the whole idea. But more importantly, it's not the main threat. The main threat is this immune, human immune diminishment overall, the pathogenic priming, uh, and then this newest scary permutation, which we don't really know whether it's true or not, which is the possibility that this is a bioweapon that is designed to create a biosynthesized protein which can be excreted by people who are modified and that that excreted biosynthesized protein can cause harm and presumably fertility interruption in people who are close to those people. And that makes the whole thing a lot more scary. And this is why I say the important thing we need to do is caution everybody say, look, you know, and, and we don't have to worry about, we shouldn't worry about people laughing at us, and our, our basic message should be, look, you can laugh at me, I'm willing to take that risk. All I'm saying is that there, there really isn't a, a, a good reason for a vaccine, even if it worked exactly as people claim it does. There's no reason for it. 99.98% survivability for most people. There's no, no justification for it. So the fact that there's any possible risk uh, on the scale, on, on any scale, much less the scale of total infertility of the human race, we just have to stop. And so that's the message. So the least crazy thing, is, you know, is you say, "Look, um, well, that's it. That's the least crazy way to present this." And and if they say, "What's the worst case scenario?" You can give them the crazy thing I'm talking about with the protein. Um, but so I don't. I don't like. The, that, that people get stuck in these technical conversations about the, about the specific efficacy of the vaccine or the possible mutations that might come out. I mean, this is all, this becomes completely pointless conversation. It's, this is a much more basic thing going on here that we have to talk about. And that is, we have to stop this program of injections, whatever they are. So that's my, uh, that's my basic sort of simplified message at the moment. And um, I hope that the really bad scenario is not the case. Uh, but no matter what, we just have to stop what we're doing. Just get people to stop taking it, stop distributing it, stop administering it, and stop trusting government. Stop trusting these people. <laughs>